If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost, month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com audio. That's carshield.com audio. Max Verstappen won again at the US Grand Prix, but this victory was anything but easy. He's about to join Vettel, he's about to join Prost, Michael Schumacher, and the driver who's chased him all the way through as a man who can say that he's won 50 Grand Prix races. And my word, has he had to work for it all the way through. This is the final corner of the last lap. The Dutch driver looks up and sees a checkered flag first for the 50th time in Formula One. Max Verstappen takes victory. He wins the US Grand Prix once again. And news from the FIA stewards has come through some four hours after the race that Lewis Hamilton and Charles Leclerc have indeed been excluded from the results for excessive wear of their skid pads. It's a slam dunk disqualification which is gutting for both Lewis and Charles and shouldn't take away from the stunning performances put in by both drivers this weekend. However, every cloud has a silver lining because everyone from second place down gets bumped up the order, which is huge news for Williams, because both of their drivers now score points. Yes, both. Logan Sargent scores his first ever world championship point, and he's done it at his home race. And in so doing, he becomes the first American to score points in Formula One since Michael Andretti in 1993. There's a lot to break down and debrief in this episode of F1 Nation. And joining me, Tom Clarkson, are Damon Hill and chairman of the FIA stewards, Tim Mayer. We hope you enjoy the show and to kick things off, let's hear from the man of the moment, Max Verstappen. Max, very well done to you. Another brilliant win, but you had to fight hard for this one. Talk us through it, both the rough and the smooth. Yeah, I mean, uh, we had a good start. Um, then the first thing, I tried to be patient, but at the same time, you know, following for so long did hurt my tyres a little bit. But at the same time, I was struggling a lot with the, the brakes compared to yesterday. So I couldn't really be um, that nice on them and, and the tyres on the braking and just being very inconsistent. And that basically carried on for the rest of the race, where compared to yesterday, that was just um, yeah, quite a big factor because I never really had a lot of confidence you know, to be consistent on the braking. But nevertheless, I think as a team, we did the right strategy. We, we pitted at the right time. And uh, basically because of that, I could work my, uh, my way forward. So yeah, I think we did everything correct today, but I was hoping for a little bit more pace because I think yesterday we were a lot more competitive. At what point in the race did the brake problems occur? And- in terms of lap time, what was it costing you? Just lap one. That was the only thing that we changed from yesterday. And uh, yeah, that made it very difficult. I couldn't get on top of it. And it's very rare that I have it in F1, but today uh, it did come up and uh, just made it a bit more difficult. Was there any point in the race when you thought, I might not win this? No, I mean, once I was in the lead, I think the gap was okay. But with a few laps to go, there were some back markers. And, uh, you know, my tyres were not feeling that great. The hard tyre was not very good today. But... I think the gap was just 
big enough and not too many laps left. And can we get a word on win number 50, which takes you within one victory of the great Alain Prost? Just, it's a, another extraordinary milestone in your career. Yeah, I mean, of course, it's a, it's a great number. Still rookie numbers compared to Lewis, but... Uh, <laughs> Uh, yeah, no, uh, for sure, it's it's a great number. I'm very happy with it, very proud of it. But yeah, let's try to uh, to win a few more. Let's celebrate though that performance by Max because yes, it was only 2.2 seconds at the flag to, to Lewis Hamilton. Yet, you know, in in a wounded car, he still brought it home with the win. I think what's interesting about this weekend for Max is that Friday was very untidy for them. I mean, they really struggled, and that car does struggle when they have a bumpy track. Uh, Singapore is a, another example. They really didn't have it all together, and that, that's why he qualified back in, in sixth position. And then second day, they got, got it under control, and that's when you could see the body language for that team change dramatically. Friday to Saturday, two totally different weekends for them. And then, of course, they go into to Sunday. And I stood next to that car at the beginning of the sprint race. They still hadn't quite figured out whether they were okay. And then I stood next to the car at the beginning of the, the race. Body language completely different. Christian, before the sprint race, looked like a cat on a hot tin roof. He really looked uncomfortable. Today, totally different thing. He knew his guy had it under control. You know, I think they felt like the strategy was going to go well, and of course it did. Now, Damon, let's talk brake problems, all right? Racing driver head on, because Max says he was feeling issues with the brakes from lap one, and it resulted in a, in a confidence problem, and I don't know, just how do you deal with that when you're in the cockpit? Uh, it's in your mind. I think that's that's one thing that I'd say. It's, it, adds, it adds doubt. You don't know what's going to happen next. You don't know what's going to happen when you hit the brakes and you're in the back of your mind, you're thinking, this is, is this going to catch me out? So you probably have to wind it back a bit from what your maximum potential is. And then that, that makes you feel vulnerable. And I don't think that's a nice way to go racing. So for Max, it would have been annoying. But, you know, he, when he comes on the radio, my God, he, he doesn't half sound angry. You know, he, really, he gives his poor old GP, his engineer, a right old roasting doesn't he but he did say please when he oh, was okay. asking gp not to talk to him oh he did say please i see what you mean yes i think he, he swore at him but yeah. then said please that, <laughs> so that what, makes it okay it's it's really interesting to me though just to how much bandwidth some of these drivers have to to say certain things you think about fernando he's he's the classic he's got so much bandwidth he's got so many things he can hold in his head at, at one time he's talking to the engineers it's almost like he's giving a masterclass, whereas there are others who don't have his experience who, as you say, the, the, the voice goes up an octave and, and you're kind of like, oh, goodness, how is this going to go? I also think that Max just enjoys giving his engineer a wind-up. I, I genuinely think he's got that much time on his hands in that car that he can just decide on a, on a good one. He's got a, something that's going to wind him up every time. He shows his love in different ways. He's getting stratospheric and he's only 26 years old. It's phenomenal. And, you know, he has basically raked in all of the results he, he could possibly do when he's had the opportunity of a competitive car. I'm just beginning to think, I was listening to Tim just talking, and, I, and it's very easy to look at this race because it, you, you could look at this race and go, ah, I see it's starting to change now. The, 
the competitors are starting to close the gap. But if you're Red Bull and you've sewed up the Constructors' Championship and the Drivers' Championship, why would you develop this car? You know, they've moved on. So this car is probably going to sink into the clutches of the guys behind, whereas everyone else is bringing them upgrades. Mercedes brought an upgrade here, a new floor, and also um, McLaren are also upgrading their cars. Everyone's pushing like mad to close that gap. So we probably will see that in the final few races of the year where Max is going to have to deal with a bit more pressure. But I, I, I'm just, my sinking feeling is that we don't, mustn't read too much into that because I expect that all the benefit that they have will go on to next year's car. I mean, those next few positions are worth millions and millions and millions of pounds, dollars, euros. And so those guys are still fighting on the development front. And you saw a couple of cars bring in, you know, bring in some big new, new developments. You saw the Astons bring it in and it didn't really work for them. You, you saw Haas bring a lot, a lot and it didn't really work for them. People are still struggling to try and get up the, up the order. And, and for some it's working. McLaren's done a great job over the last you know, half a season or so to really get up front. But uh, they passed Aston Martin for the fourth place in the championship. And it's taken Mercedes 18 months to find their North Star and find a way forward with this car. But as Damon said, the new floor, it was only worth, I think, one-tenth of a second. That's what James Allison told us on last week's show. But actually, Lewis makes the point in the press conference, yes, it's worth one-tenth in reality, but also there's another tenth in confidence from the driver as well. So Mercedes finally, I think, know what direction they're headed. And now it's just a question of time. Have they got enough time to close the gap before the start of next year on Red Bull? And they will be wanting to do that because there's, there's a lot of kudos, don't forget, in, in winning. You know, it, I know they, they don't want to fool themselves, but they'll have a win if they can get one, that's for sure. And imagine that. I mean, today we saw Lewis closing down on Max in a race and it really did start to look like this is this is the sort of battle of the titans that we've been hoping to see for so long now. It's back on. You know, we've got the, the prize fighters out there and uh, there's so much at stake between them. And the respect between them is still there, Damon. I always say, I've said it, well, I've said it several times on this podcast that it's when the cameras are turned off before the start of the press conference. That is the only time that they're together in the same room all weekend, apart from things like driver's briefings. But that's when the, you know, the headmaster's looking at them. But... They're happy to chat. They talk about the race. They have a little debrief about the performance of the tires and where their cars were strong and where they were weak. And I sense that when we get them wheel to wheel, it's going to be massively competitive, but very respectful. I, I tell you, in the stewards room, when you get a couple of world champions in there talking to each other, and, and so the respect is enormous. And it, it's, it's a very different byplay between when you've got somebody who's new into the championship and, and a world champion or two people that have just come in side by side, the, the byplay between those drivers is, is totally different. They know that they have to tell the truth in front of the other guy. They might be able to pull the wool over a new guy, over somebody who's new into the champion, but if you've been a three-time world champion, you're not gonna get the wool pulled over your eyes. So I, it's really different for us as stewards to see those world champions. And, and, and as you say, in the press conference, it was different as well. You see that respect, you see that love of the sport that all these guys have and bring to this every weekend. Tim, you mentioned the stewards room. Come on, give us a little bit of an insight, right? So what are the conversations like? With these cars that create most of their downforce with the underfloor, you have to have some way of stopping them from just absolutely 
sending the car right down to the ground. And so this plank, which is down the middle of the car, is a piece of, uh, actually, so everybody has a little bit of different stuff, but Jabrock is what they most, mostly call it. And it wears, and it wears over the course. And, and that means that you can't go all the way down as far as you want. So if you wear the, that plank too much, it means the car has been too low to the ground and that downforce that you get from that underfloor effect is, is, is more than we care for them to have. The teams are so professional. The drivers are so professional that it's all about respect. And they respect us. We've got an enormous amount of information in that room. They, they know that we've got the goods. And we respect them. It's not about the FIA stewards versus the drivers. I always like to say that we're a service provider for the teams. We're there to help provide a level playing field. And as long as we treat them with respect, they tend to treat us with respect. If I, My biggest mistake ever as a steward is uh, 2016, Hamilton and Rosberg, start of the race in, in Barcelona, and they, they crash. Both drivers are out. We bring them in afterwards. And uh, we decide no further action in the end. But Lewis says to, to me, well, what was I supposed to do? And as a steward, somebody who's never driven a Formula One car, I started to tell him what I thought he ought to have done. And that wasn't respectful of me. He got up, he was a bit mad, and he slammed the door and walked out. And, and poor Ron Meadows, his team manager, went absolutely white in the face and said, oh, I'll get him back to apologize. And I said, actually, Ron, I need you to go and apologize on my behalf because it was a stupid thing for me to do. And it's maybe not my stupidest thing as a, as a, a steward, but I'm not going to tell you the other ones. <laughs> Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. George, what a race. <laughs> you were busy out there. Yeah, it was um, a race of two halves, to be honest, because we had some great pace on the, on the medium after a, after a bad start. The hard tire was terrible for us. We underfueled the car, so we had to uh, turn the engine down. We were losing three temps in the engine to save fuel. And then we put the mediums on at the end, and we were the quickest car on track, even with that three temps deficit, which was really promising and just such a shame because I think we had the car this weekend, uh, Lewis and I, for one of us to definitely be fighting for victory. And it feels like the story of the season that we're standing here saying we've, we've missed, a, missed an opportunity. You're frustrated. I can look, I can see it in your face. Yeah, personally, uh, it's definitely more my side this year. Just um, it's been very, very scrappy. Uh, and I, I don't really know why, because it doesn't feel like it's from a lack of performance or speed. If anything, it feels stronger than last year. Yet last year, every race seemed to go our way. So definitely something I want to try and review and, uh, and go from there. Well, I hope you haven't run out of your luck um, from last year, but I, I'm, I'm sure it's, it's going to come back. But you had at least some good wheel-to-wheel -wheel action with, uh, with Checker, wasn't it? Uh, in, yeah, um, it was. I mean, this race always offers something quite exciting, even uh, though it's definitely one of the bumpiest out there. And my heel is uh, feeling it right now because the cars are so stiff, banging up and down. And you feel a bit sick in, in the car and you get a bit of a headache because it's so, so abrasive. But... 
Yeah, that's what it's about sometimes. The Merck, Merck looked particularly stiff in qualifying anyway, more, more so than in the race, than other cars. Yeah, it, definitely. It, well, it's not designed for comfort. We're designed, <laughs> designed for speed, and uh, that's what we thought was the fastest way around. Lewis said in the press conference that just the upgrades gave him a, a tenth more confidence just in the, in the car. So you'd have the same feeling? Yeah, well, probably not, not this weekend. It's a track I've always struggled with, but I could definitely feel the upgrades. There's no doubt about it that we had stronger pace this weekend than we were anticipating, and it bodes well for the next two, where I think inherently we'll be a bit more competitive. Brazil, two races time. I'm excited for Mexico first. We had a good, good shot there last year. Um, but no, we're, we're feeling, feeling good. We're, we're, we're riding a bit of a wave at the moment, and things are looking really positive into 2024, which, to be honest, is what we're all looking forward to. George, thanks for your time. You Travel safe, great. He had a sore heel. Did you ever get sore heels from bumpy racetrack? Only, only if I went off the track or something like that. You know, yeah, definitely. You'll, you've got no padding in the back of your heel. They sometimes have on the back of the boot on your heel a little bit of rubber. But you imagine you're lying down in the car with your feet up, slightly above your, your backside. Um, so your heels are very vertical on the on the tub. On the, and if that thing's bouncing up and down, your feet bounce up and down and they they whack the ground, you know, so you need, you need only need one of those, you know, to give yourself a, have you ever been smacked on the heel with a, with that hard well, thing, like a plank no, or something? No, but I have done my you know, Achilles, but I guess we're not talking about the yeah, same thing. So it, it is uncomfortable. I, they, as he said, they're not made for comfort, these cars, they're made for performance. So too bad if you're, but the, the worst thing is if you hit a bump as you're going for the brake and your foot doesn't land on the pad in the right position then that could be a bit of a problem because you can end up your, your top of your foot can rub against the top of the tub and you're not getting pressure i've had that before where i've gone for the brake pedal and i'm not i'm not pressing the pedal i'm actually pressing the roof of the tub with my foot and so the car's not stopping it, it does sound from all these drivers as if they don't maintain this racetrack but i can tell you because i come here very regularly that they do the, the the soil underneath this entire part of texas moves a lot it's kind of clay it moves around and so it's very unpredictable from from one week to the next when you're where the bumps are going to be turn 11 which is the, the pointy bit at the top here has moved up by 1.5 meters in the last five years so it gives you a sense of how much this moves it is it's quite something so it's it's they're chasing it all the time and they they do repave a lot of this racetrack a lot more often than you would normally want to pave a, a racetrack what did Lewis say after the race that the only bit that's not bumpy is the exit of turn 20 to the finish line, all 200 meters of it. That's good because we're repaving it later on this winter. <laughs> Tim, when did you start being a steward? Because you would have had a lot of fun and games with Damon and Michael Schumacher. Well, thankfully, I've never had Damon in, in the stewards room. Um, I'm sure he's quite difficult to, to talk around, so I, it's good. I'm really pleased not to have done that. But I was in the Schumacher era. 2008 was my first year. I, I always understood that the, the stewards had a... Well, we didn't, have, we didn't have the same kind of steward system they have now, actually. Yeah, uh, it has changed. So, yeah, it's changed completely. So uh, you, you would be up in front of the beak, but I can't remember. It wasn't the same, it wasn't in the same context and the same uh, well, uh, setup. When you, we were, when you were driving, I think the stewards were more political appointees. Yeah. And, I mean, we have a huge training program for stewards. We've all come up through various championships. Uh, I mean, for myself, I've got 30 years of experience officiating races. So, you know, that's typical of, of what, what is out there. And, and Tim, 30 years of being an official, maybe. But some of our listeners may not know that you actually have Formula One in your blood because son, of course, of 
Teddy Mayer and we're thinking of McLaren in the 70s and James Hunt winning the world championship and that's all your family. I, I have uh, at home on my wall the original certificate of incorporation of McLaren Racing back in September of 1963. So yes, it's been, been in my blood all the way through. My, my uncle Timmy was a Formula One driver. I'm named after him. Sadly, he passed away, but he was teammates with Bruce and my dad was manager and the rest is history. And I, it, you know, I always say that motor racing is a genetic deficiency. Damon here is proof positive of that. Yeah, well, I, I don't know if it's deficiency or it's just sort of a, some sort of um, strange twist to it, to the to the DNA chain, because actually you do get infected with it. Well, Tim, that is a beautiful segue. You talking about your history with McLaren to talking about their race uh, this weekend, because it was an extraordinary turnaround, actually. Lando Norris was very vocal uh, before the weekend saying, look, we aren't going to be any good this weekend. Don't get your hopes up. And yet he goes and puts the, the car on the front row and you've got to say very solid. Well, I, th I think it, what's, what's interesting about this season for McLaren is that they really have got their act together in terms of the car. I mean, I, they, they finally, I think, understand the car a lot better than they, they used to. And I think they can make the adjustments early on the race weekend to, to get that car on, po on pole for qualifying. It's just really remarkable thing to see that everybody changed around on the order. Look, walking out on the grid, it was, it was quite extraordinary because all the wrong people were in all the wrong places. So it was just, it was, it was quite a different weekend. Tim, it's something we've been saying all year is take Max Verstappen out of it and you really do have a very close season. It's a very, very competitive group of people right behind Max. But what, what's interesting, you know, they have struggled on race pace. Qualifying one lap, empty tanks, new tires, they're doing well. I think to get the race pace is a bit difficult for them. They've got to figure out some things to, to get that pace over the course of an entire race. And then I think they're going to be right up there taking the fight to Red Bull. These regulations have been hard for people to figure out. I think it's been a hell of a lot of teams scratching their heads over how to make these cars um, consistent, not only just on, on fast and slow speed corners, but also in different track conditions. They just seem to be, people are oscillating up and down the grid, like you say, in the, in the but it, that could be a function of the tightness of the grid behind Max, you know, and so much at stake, you know, and that was, that was the ambition of the new regulations in a way, was to, to make it harder for teams to gain an advantage, and that makes the racing closer, but it, it is difficult for us to predict, <laughs> you know, we're looking at it and going, it's kind of going, and they are looking at it going, well, we don't know what's going to happen until we get there. Look at Aston Martin, you know, who would have said they were going to be that far off the pace? here in uh, Austin. So McLaren have though made steady progress and, and look at, are looking stronger across the board. I felt Lando kind of reasserted himself within McLaren this weekend. He was very quick all weekend. I thought the way he managed his tire wear was, was excellent. And I was chatting to Mark Webber on the grid actually and, and saying, look, what happened to Oscar in the sprint yesterday? Because he dropped off very quickly. And he said, look, Oscar's pace in qualifying has been brilliant all year. What he's still learning, and let's not forget it's his first season of Formula One, he's still learning how to drive slowly. <laughs> Which is quite a nice way to put it when you're talking about Formula One. But so, so the, you know, the learning curve is still vertical for him. I think what has been extraordinary though has, has been his ability to, to sort of concentrate when there's so much pressure on him for such a young guy to come in and to have all this pressure and, 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 and do as well as he has. I mean, it's just 
remarkable. He, he's, you watch him in the paddock, you watch him on the grid, and he's got this sort of aura of confidence around him that he's bulletproof, and it, it shows in his pace. Do you get frustrated as a rookie? I'm thinking, let's go back to 1993, Damon. You, you got a four-time, well, then three-time world champion alongside you in Alain Prost. It wasn't all plain sailing, was it? And how did you deal with the lows? Um, you're, you're trying to make some sort of comparison between my experience and Oscar Piastri's. Is that right? I mean, well, Oscar's been karting since, you know, I don't know how old, you know, so he's been brought up to be a, a racer. He's been identified as having lots of talent and he's fought his way through the other categories to get to his position and he, and he feels entitled and he feels that he's rightfully there. Those things are really important. When you, when you arrive in Formula One, you should always think, I should be here. In my case, I thought, what am I doing here? How did I get here? What happened? One minute I was without a job and now I'm, I'm, I've got Alan Prost as a teammate. So quite a different set of exertions. Not, not, to, not that I didn't think I would, would be able to cope with it, but it, certainly no one had put money on me getting to that Damon, position. Damon, we're having a laugh about it. Seriously, though, did you have, what do they call it, imposter syndrome? Was that what you were suffering from? Yes, I get it even now, Tom. Why, why am I here? Why should I? No. <laughs> I it, it's, um, mine was not the normal route, as you know. My, my route was very unusual and a bit haphazard and required a bit of luck. But when I got there, I knew what I was doing and I managed to make it stick. So, but not, not the way in which you see the young guys come up into Formula 1 and the way they're coached not only uh, in, the, in their driving, but also in their ability to, to deal with the things that happen and the interviews and, the, and all the media and all the rest of it. So it's a different, they're much more prepared. But I do prepared. think it is hard to overstate the step up from Formula 2, Formula 3 to Formula 1. I mean, the weekends are, are so much more difficult for them so busy that, and the pressure on them is just intense. It's the scrutiny, Tim. It's the scrutiny. And, and I did not like the scrutiny I got in Formula One. I thought, you know, a lot of it was far too intrusive, but it's nothing compared to what they've got now. We are outside Ferrari. It hasn't been really a great weekend for Ferrari. Well, it was a great Friday for the team, Charles Leclerc taking pole position, but then undoubtedly they didn't have the tire wear, they didn't have the pace to keep it going for the full 56 laps on Sunday. Well, and a one-stop just didn't work for any, anybody. They, you could see a number of teams thinking they were going to go for one stop, and it just, it, it just hung them out to dry, as we say in America. So, I mean, it just was not the right way to go. And you can see with his teammate that, you know, just the difference between those two cars with three sets of tires instead of two was a huge. And I think there is never a greater demonstration of a driver's ability versus the cars he's been driving than when you look at their pole to win ratio. Charles' pole position here on Friday was the 21st of his career. How many victories has he got in Formula One? Five. I think that tells you an awful lot about the cars he's been driving and yet his ability behind the wheel, particularly over one lap. His determination is huge. He's really, when he gets the bit between his teeth and he's got the car underneath him to do it, it's very, very hard to get past him. So, Tom, I've got a better stat or clearer stat than that, if you want. Um, but he said the 21st career pole, Leclerc's 21st career pole, is the most for any driver without a world championship. So he's, he's been up there with the world champions, but he hasn't got one. This is what we know about Charles, isn't it? He's very good over one lap in, if it comes off. But the promise is not fulfilled, yeah. is it? Really? But I don't That's think the, you can put it. Are you putting that no, in, no, at his door? Or no, the no, car? I'm not putting no. it at his door at all. And I think he's extract, the reason he gets pole position is he's able to extract 
the very, very maximum out of a car. But to do that for an entire race distance where you know you can't do it with the, with the tire management anyway. So that's where they come unstuck is actually they wouldn't have had any poles, if you like, um, if it hadn't been for, for Charles making ring in every last drop out of that car. Look, it's a busy paddock here. Um, look, Aston Martin uh, and we've of course got our regular contributor, Pedro de la Rosa, with us now. Uh, Pedro, what are the issues with your racing car? Because qualifying didn't go so well and actually... Uh, Lance Stroll did an amazing job to get to P9, right? Yes. Well, I mean, I think we, we lacked uh, free practice one. We had problems with uh, issues with the uh, brakes. So therefore, we couldn't really uh, optimize the setup or with the new aero package. Therefore, that's why we took the decision of uh, starting from the pit lane. Uh, we could change the setup. We could compare uh, the different aero packages, basically the Qatar aero package from Fernando that Fernando drove and uh, the new one that uh, Lance uh, drove so that we can do a direct comparison. So all we couldn't do in free practice one, we did it, but during the race. So it was actually a test session for you guys as much yeah. as anything. Yeah, it, it was a, a proper test session, but uh, however, we, we really got some points out of it, which was uh, a bonus, really. Okay, and what about the performance of the car? Well, I mean, we really need to analyze it in detail, you know, it's difficult to say, but the actual feeling or, you know, and the comments from the driver was positive. The Lance was in the points, was quick, was consistent. Pretty good, I would say. All right. You look like you're in a hurry. You can't wait to get to Mexico. Yeah, well, I'm not, I'm, I'm, I'm skipping Mexico, uh, but I will be in Brazil and I hope to be here in the show for longer, analyzing every single detail in, yeah. in well, with more time. Celebrating that Aston Martin victory in Brazil, is that what we're going to be doing? We will celebrate it at one point. So if it's uh, Mexico, Brazil, or, you know. Who, it's got to work out what know. year. Yeah. No, not that year. I mean, this year, okay? <laughs> Pedro, travel safe. Thanks for, okay. your, thanks for your time. Thank you. Now, Damon, there was what I call a proper driver in the paddock this weekend. Oh, I know where you're going with that. Do you? Do you? <laughs> I know that you would have been as excited to see him as I was. Yeah. And of course, we're talking about Rory McIlroy. Yeah. Uh, legendary golfer, but also an investor in the Alpine Formula One team. Yes, you've got uh, quite a few names now that seem to be wanting to be part of this thing called Formula One. And it's great to have them in there. So uh, they bring a lot of attention and also Hopefully we'll get more fans into the sport and following their progress and their ups and downs with uh, a Formula One team. Pierre, <laughs> look, many congratulations to you. You've had, you've had a, a really barnstorming weekend, haven't you? Uh, it was probably the best weekend um, of the season for us. So um, I really felt nice, maximized everything, both Q3s. Nothing more we could get out of it was well executed. I just saw the boys did the second fastest pit stop. So now we're trying to push on all areas and uh, yeah, it was a very complete weekend. And there's consistency as well. It was what, your, your third points finish in the last four races, I think. Uh, yeah, possibly. I think the last one didn't because of track limits, uh, which was a bit interesting today in turn six. But uh, yeah, that's... Uh, that's the way it is. Was uh, on, on our side, we did the best and kept uh, kept it clean. And um, and uh, no, I'm really happy with the, what I'm seeing in the team. So I just need a faster car, which we're working on for next year. But in terms of execution, it was really good. Great job. Well done. Thank Pierre, you. Yeah. Thanks so Thank much you. for your time. Thank you. Again, it's a, it's another case for these uh, one of these teams that have been up and yo-yoing up and down their performance throughout the season. So you you you, you hesitate. Uh, 
claim that they're making good progress just on the basis of one result. They want to do better, clearly, that they made quite a lot of claims at the start of the season that they were going to, but it, that never seemed to materialise. But I just got the impression that they were on a track which is a proper racetrack. Um, when I say proper, I mean it's not a technical track like, say, Singapore or something like that. You know, it is, it's a place that, where the cars need to perform well in, in, in extreme conditions, you know, loads of G-load and, and crosswinds and change of direction and, and stuff like that. So that's always an indicator as to whether or not fundamentally they've got the right aerodynamics uh, on the car and the right setup. So I didn't think they were too bad for, for their season, actually. There are some sections on this racetrack that, that where you're going through the S's, you know, turn two, three, four, where where there's just enormous G loads, side loadings for for these cars. You know, there's some some real tests of, of straight line speed from turn 11 to turn 12, then hard braking. It, it's it's a big test. Well, of course, we're we're overlooking one small hiccup, which is that uh, Ocon had to retire his car because it had a hole in his side pod, but. All things considered, apart from that, they weren't too bad. I, I agree with both of you. I think it's been a really strong weekend for them. And let's not forget, it wasn't so long ago that they had the, the massive reshuffle of staff there. And, and I think a lot of people were quite discombobulated by that within the Enstone outfit. So things appear to be settling down. Matt Harmon, the technical director, is obviously pushing on with his team. And, and the car is getting better and better. People underestimate how much strong management changes the dynamic within a team. You, you look at somebody like Andreas Stella, for instance, at McLaren, who's just brought an awful lot to that team and, and in his style of management, his ability to lead people, get everybody marching in the same direction. And when you have that change of personnel, it is a big distraction for everybody in the team. You know, what's, where's my, I'm gonna have my job next week. This is a really hard way to, to do business, particularly when you're traveling you know, from race to race to race. And as we've heard all the way through, development is, is critical at this point you know, for all of these teams. They've got to learn about their cars and having that strong management is a big part of it. Now look, what about Alpha Tauri? Yuki Tsunoda gets the fastest lap of the race as well. So of course has helped Alpha Tauri close the gap in the Constructors' Championship to Haas. But Yuki, I thought, did a really good job this weekend. Daniel Ricciardo back in, in the adjacent car, the pressure's back on, he's got to perform, and he, and he delivered. I think that Yuki is, is an underrated driver. He, he has the, the, the weight of a whole nation on top of him, and he really does. He feels that pressure. You can see it on a race weekend, that he does feel the pressure. He feels the need to deliver. And that, that pressure, I think, is counterproductive. And you do see some up and down weekends from him. So it's great to see a consistent weekend from him, one where he's able to concentrate and deliver. And, and I mean, he really is the real thing when he gets it right. And, and Damon, what about his teammate, Daniel Ricciardo, back for the first time in five races? Yeah, I think I saw a quote where he said he, did, he hated to hear himself say it, but he, he, he thought he was a little bit uh, race rusty, you know, not quite as sharp as he needs. He knows he needs to be because he's been away and also his hand is recuperating a little bit still. So yeah, it's good to see him back in. Um, now we want to see him make some progress, make the steps that we expect from, from Daniel, but uh, we've got a few more races left. Uh, but but, you, but going back to Yuki, you know, again, I agree with Tim. He's, he's a little bit too hard on himself. His pace is there, his pace is good, but it's that, it's that kind of suggestion that he himself doesn't think he's good enough. Uh, it comes out sometimes, you know, that's how it comes across. And I, and I think that he, I don't know how you, you change that 
attitude. He's very open and honest about his failings. And you want, you know, sometimes you want to go, look, I don't think Fernando Alonso, even if he had any failings, would be admitting to any of them. And sometimes you do need to kind of just, you know, put a little bit of a protective wall around yourself rather than open yourself up to criticism. Well, I do think the pressure on the drivers in the Red Bull system all the way up from the beginning is, is immense. The one person I think is immune to it is Daniel. I did see him in Nashville last week. He was at, a, at a, an event that Red Bull organized and he was out there and he's smiling and waving and having a good time. And, and he got phone calls from the team asking him about, okay, how's the hand? Because he was driving a car and doing spins in the, in the middle of the bar district down in Nashville. So uh, he, he was in good shape, but it's a huge difference between doing a demo run and, and being spending a weekend here out on the racetrack. The physical demands of the, for the, on these drivers is just unbelievable. Six lateral Gs going around a corner. That's the equivalent of a 90-pound head press. Every time you go into a corner, your neck is under that much stress. So I think, you know, for all these drivers, it, it's a, a lot of work. Physically, for Daniel, you know, being rusty is not, not, uh, not unusual. We've wandered down to the American team, and Gunter Steiner's with us now. Gunter, there was so much excitement and expectation around the upgrades that you guys brought to this race. How do you sum it up? How has the car performed? Uh, I think expectation, you put it wrong. Uh, I, I always was very careful with expectations. I never said it will be, we need to find out how good it is, you know, and it's a difficult weekend to find out for obvious reasons, a sprint weekend. Uh, yesterday, obviously, we were completely off on the sprint race. We realized that one, we were off with the downforce level. So we decided uh, to make changes on the, on the downforce level and therefore start from pit lane. And uh, I'm very happy that we made that decision uh, because we learned a lot more now. It was not fantastic, but uh, we at least raced some of the cars today. You know, I mean, obviously, we didn't race the Red Bulls or the Mercedes, don't worry. Uh, it's one of these things. We, I think we made progress, but do I know where it is? Uh, I don't know. Well, the shortcoming of the car prior to this weekend has always been in the race and tyre wear. Did you see improvements with that? It looks like it is improving and maybe we are a little bit too careful, a little bit too cautious because we always had these problems and we didn't, we, we, we tried to save the tyre too much. That was Kevin's verdict on the last set of tyres that I should have gone straight out, go for it because I saved the tyre and then at some stage I just said, oh, I try and all of a sudden I had good grip, you know, and I enjoyed myself. So. Uh, maybe a little bit too careful, but uh, we go now to Mexico and try to find out what, what we can do there. Obviously, the downforce level in Mexico, how much you have got is, is always too little because of the altitude. But, uh, uh, you know, it's just one of these things here. Yeah, we need to keep on trying and also to learn for next year. Okay, now the cars have, what is it, 150 sensors on them, don't they? Which are feeding data back to you guys, of course. But the best sensor in the car, as Damon has told us many times, is the driver. And what were the drivers saying about the car here? Damon is biased anyway because he was a driver, so fair play. We've got someone with a conflict of interest. I mean, I'm biased. So have we got anyone here? We've got the holding the mic, you know. So the drivers, what they are saying is that what I just said, Kevin was, they were all both a little bit, yeah, we actually could race today. You know, we could race the Alphas, we could race the Williams, you know. So which before they just drove by us. So, you know, everybody's a little bit careful with their prediction, but 
uh, as I said, uh, uh, we need to do one or two more races to see what we have got actually. A lot of tr a lot of people have mentioned crosswinds and the effect. These cars are affected quite a lot. It seems incredible with the amount of downforce that they have. That relatively light winds that we've had today can can affect. But your cars too. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, uh, so sometimes the, uh, the, the guys think even something is broken in the suspension when they get their gust. And as you say, the gusts are not very high wind, but they are out of nothing. They are very strong, you know, they are pulsing. So I, I think it was mainly at the end of the lap, 16, 17, 18, 19, they were like, Richard once said, I think something is broke. But uh, you look at the aero data, and it's just gusts of wind, you know, and I think everybody experienced the same. But they, they are just uh, uh, a ground effect. They are just fragile cars for aero. And a sprint weekend, is, is it just an impossible weekend to do development on? Yeah, because you have got one session with one hour, then you have to freeze the car, uh, or it's going in park for me, otherwise you get cold to the stewards, which we don't want to be. Uh, it's difficult, but we knew that going in, it didn't come as a surprise, but that's for we took the decision, even we, we start from bit lame because yesterday the sprint race was just like we, we, we were off the pace you know completely and comparing also our top speed compare we were very fast on the straight but uh, that means you're light on aero in the, in the corners which don't help the tires and don't help your lap time okay well going to final one from us look you're the home team how's the support been out there for you i mean it's fantastic here i mean people like it and uh, the, 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 i mean the biggest thing is how f1 now uh, has reached america you know this was not possible six seven years ago now, i think uh, now it's here and it's here to stay great to speak thank you very thank much you, thank Thanks. you thank you all right great what, what a what a character he is i can tell you you do not want to cross him in the stewards room but thursday i'm thinking back to monaco i've had it full bore from him in monaco i was the steward there but Thursday, on his own back, he went up to meet all the marshals. He spent nearly an hour with the marshals up there and just absolutely wonderful. Signed autographs, made jokes. He was just absolutely fantastic. And the marshals volunteered. They put in their hard work. And uh, it's, it's been quite a huge thing for him to, to come out and, and see all those people. Makes a big difference. I think he loves racing. He's so passionate. Yeah. I, I, you know, and I everything about it. I don't he get understands. mad at him when he when he's swearing at me and calling me all kinds of names in the stewards room. I just have to remind myself it's all passion. I actually came away from that conversation feeling a little bit more upbeat because on paper those upgrades on the Haas didn't look like they did much. But he seems, you know, the drivers are obviously saying it's a little bit better, and they were racing cars that they haven't been racing. So let's hope for them that it has indeed been a step forward. Friend of the show has just walked past us. Look, Alex, can we just talk about the performance of Williams this weekend? Yeah, it's been quite up and down for us. It's been very wind dependent, very weather dependent, as in track temp, which is very normal for us. Uh, that's kind of why you see these dips and downs, ups and downs through, through the weekend. The problem for us is we put everything on Saturday. So we put new tires for the race. We missed out by three tenths with George. And then we did Sunday with, with you size. And when we were kind of scrambling around a bit, it's actually been quite interesting for us because we, the more we drive our car, I know it sounds strange. We've, we've already had, I've had two years of driving it now, but um, it's amazing how the wind can really change our car in low speed corners more than anything. And just little subtleties like, it, like what happened from Saturday to Sunday. Um, if it's going from north to east, 45 degrees of wind, what do you get, little snaps of oversteer? No, or what it's you... more headwind. Headwind is really good for our car in low speed corners. So think about Zandvoort and our performance there. It gives us a car that doesn't have 
its normal limitations and then we can go much quicker. Was this quite an easy weekend for you? You know, you've got Compared the American, you've got, no, you've got the American teammate. He takes all the workload off you with the fans <laughs> and the sponsors and you've just been Trust me, hanging I, out I wish, on I 6th wish. Street, eating well, steak, having if, a great time. Even if I did half of what Logan did, I still did a lot this weekend. <laughs> we do a lot of PR around here. Yeah, we did team barbecue on Thursday. We were doing an, uh, an event tonight as well after the race. Well, look. Have fun tonight, whatever you're getting up to. Travel safe and we'll see you I in I sound Mexico. exciting, but I'm a boring person. I'll be in bed at 10 p.m. And I see no, no one listening is believing that. <laughs> Alex, travel safe. Thank you for your time. Talk about somebody, though, who deserves to be in Formula One. I mean, he, he has done so well with this car, and he's always, always, always up, up in the order and exciting to watch. He's such a wonderful, wonderful person to deal with on one-on-one. -on -one. I think Tim also, he, he's very much uh, appreciated by the team. The team know he's valuable to them and uh, he, he can give the team some sort of lodestone, some sort of, you know, something they know is going to be consistent. And if they can just give him the competitive car, then he'll be right up the front. And, and as we were talking about before, he's confident enough. He knows, he knows his own ability and he'd be able to, uh, to live at the front as well. So it's just a matter of time. Hopefully we'll see Alex up there and Williams as well. I think for the history of the sport, to see Williams sort of resurgent with, a, with the new investment that they have, new management that they have, and drivers that really can give the team confidence that the car is going in the right direction makes a big difference. Helps us, I think, I, I, you know, for those of us who love the sport, as, as I know you do, Tom, I think it's just a great thing to have Williams just sort of sneaking up the order just a little bit there. I can see... Valtteri Bottas, a slightly more difficult weekend for you guys after what had been a brilliant one uh, last time out. Just sum it up for us. Difficult is, a, is the right word for this weekend. I think um, just ultimately lacking pace. I think that got confirmed yesterday in the sprint and today in the race just didn't have the pace to make any progress. And it's hard, like it's tough because in Qatar we had both cars in, in the points. So uh, definitely some things to understand. Initially, I feel like we probably got more penalized by the track uh, being quite bumpy and maybe our car is quite sensitive to the right height, you know, so that's the initial feeling of mine. And Valtteri, how difficult is it to catch up on a sprint weekend when you've got all these different sessions and races and qualifying if you haven't started the weekend off right? It's, it's tricky. You only have one practice and you don't get always a true picture where you are in, in that practice and then you're stuck with a setup. So yeah, we saw today some teams made big changes, opted to start from the pit lane. So. Um, in hindsight, after the race, I wish we would have done the same, but uh, obviously we were in a decent place on the grid, so we didn't want to do that. Phoebe, you always go well in Mexico, so best of luck next weekend. Thank you. I love Mexico, so I'm there for the tacos, maybe tequila and some points. Phoebe, thanks. Travel safe. Thank you. So the top 10 looks like this. Max Verstappen takes win number 50 of his career and his 15th of the 2023 campaign. Lando Norris is second following Hamilton's disqualification, making it four podiums in a row for the McLaren driver. Carlos Sainz is third, with Sergio Perez coming home fourth, his best result since Monza. George Russell is fifth, Pierre Gasly is sixth, making it three points finishes in the last four races for him. Lance Stroll drives a stunning race from the pit lane to seventh place. Yuki Tsunoda is an impressive eighth. Alex Albon is ninth. And Logan Sargent scores his first point in Formula One in tenth place.
In the Drivers' Championship, Max Verstappen increases his lead over teammate Sergio Perez to 226 points. Lewis Hamilton is third, now 39 points behind Perez. Fernando Alonso stays fourth, just 12 points ahead of Carlos Sainz in fifth. Charles Leclerc's disqualification from the race means Lando Norris jumps him in the table. Lando is sixth, Charles now seventh, and George Russell is eighth. Oscar Piastri is ninth, and Pierre Gasly remains tenth. In the team's championship, Red Bull have smashed through the 700-point marker and now have more than double the points of second-place Mercedes. Ferrari a third, just 22 points behind Merck, and McLaren are new to fourth place, six points ahead of Aston Martin in fifth. Alpine are a lonely sixth with exactly 100 points. Williams a seventh, Alfa Romeo eighth, Haas ninth, and Alfa Tauri tenth. So Max Verstappen and Red Bull are the world champions in Formula One, but we had a, a very exciting addition to the F1 calendar this weekend here in Austin with the final round of F1 Academy being here. It was being televised in 180 countries. And we had a new champion, the inaugural F1 Academy champion, Marta Garcia. Out of the final corner, foot to the floor for Marta Garcia, who wins race one in F1 Academy, and in doing so, becomes the first champion of F1 Academy, your 2023 Drivers' Champion. The team celebrate, they knew it was coming. It's been a faultless year. The F1 drivers are out in force watching Lewis Hamilton, George Russell. We've seen Esteban Ocon as well in qualifying, but what a result for Marta Garcia. Marta, what a season it has been for you. Just, what does this title mean? It means a lot. It means a lot, of course. You know, uh, we've been working so hard since the start of the season with the team, with Prima, in the same, uh, out of track, uh, physically everywhere. Uh, we had some tough months as well, racing a lot, and uh, since May until July. And you know, it's it's great to to win the championship, of course. You know, all the hard work we've been doing, also not just this year, but also the years uh, before. You know, uh, it just feels really, really good. I was really emotional yesterday when I when I won. And just uh, really, really happy. Tell us a little bit more about the cars in terms of their speed and what you've learned from them this year. Basically, it's like an F it's an F4 car, has 170 horsepower. It's an Alfa Romeo, and uh, and yeah, doesn't have much downforce. Honestly, uh, we run with Pirelli tires, and yeah, basically the car is not really like doesn't have a lot of downforce like the F1 cars, uh, obviously. Uh, but it's good, you know, it's good for experiencing uh, single seaters for the first time, you know, for the youngers that come into into single seaters, and also to learn is really good the F4. And there's been such a buzz in the Austin paddock following F1 Academy. And I think Lewis came down to see you guys. Was George Russell giving the trophies away as well? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was great. You know, when I, when I, um, when I won the race yesterday, Lewis was uh, waiting for me to congratulate me. And it was just great. You know, like Lewis, it's been, and he's one of my favorites ever in F1 since like four or five years ago. So, you know, how, how that feels. And also Russell. Russell was also giving the trophies yesterday. So it's great to see the F1 drivers as well supporting the F1 Academy and talking about it, you know, like uh, giving it um, visibility. It's, it's just really good. So what happens next? Because the champion can't return to F1 Academy. So, so what are your plans going forward? I mean, I know F1 Academy is going to help me to move forward, to move to a higher category, that's for sure. Uh, but we don't, know, we don't know anything yet. So I guess we'll know something probably in the next uh, few weeks. Okay. And, and the goal 
is Formula One, obviously. Obviously, yeah, the goal is always being Formula One. I think now I'm closer in the terms that I just won a championship from F1 Academy. I might move up and uh, I think now I just need to work hard, sacrifice a lot and just keep working, working, working until probably one day, I hope, I, c I could get to F1. And is there a real buzz about your achievement back home in Spain? Can you see a lot of support coming your way? Yeah, there is a, there is a lot of support. I think every time more, because uh, right now, obviously, the races are being broadcasted for this Austin race. Uh, before they were not, it's giving a lot more visibility. And I'm getting a lot more comments on Instagram, like, you know, like a lot of uh, messages, you know. Uh, also doing so many stuff with Carlos as well helps a lot. And, and no, people in Spain support me, support me a lot. And they love to see a Spanish person doing well in, in motorsport because they love motorsport out there. Spanish motorsport is in a great place, isn't it? Fernando Alonso, Carlos Sainz, you, it's... Yeah, it's really it's good. It's really good. Yeah, also not just uh, not just racing like cars, but also motorbikes. We have a lot of drivers. So yeah, there is a lot of people in Spain that has passion for motorsport, and it's, it's it's great. Well, Marta, many congratulations on everything you've achieved this year, and best of luck for the future. Thank you so much. Tim, there's no doubt that Marta has done a fantastic job this year with seven wins, but let's talk about F1 Academy and its addition to the F1 program. Well, I think it's pitched at just the right level because women don't need a leg up at the top. They need a leg up at the bottom. We need to build the pyramid from the bottom up. And I think that's what F1 Academy does. It gives the opportunity for people in the F4 car level rather than trying to pitch it you know, a little too high. We have Lynn St. James here, who's the FIA representative for the Women in Motorsport Commission for the US. And her thing is, we're not trying to get something that we're not, not deserving of. What we need is just that initial door opened. And I think it's great. That's what this program does. I think Susie Wolf has done an amazing job. The cars look tidy, the teams look tidy. And the racing here this weekend was really, really good. I watched it from the center of the, the track. I watched one of the races anyway. It looked no different to watching young, uh, uh, you know, aspiring racing drivers, as you would expect. So I think it's given an opportunity to the drivers to be noticed, to get attention, because you need to get them. It's no good them getting talent or uh, getting race results and having talent if they can't take that to the next level. They need to find marketing opportunities and budgets like we like all racing drivers do they need to have the money to go racing so um it needs to, someone needs to look at it and go this person's talented this person's got a future this person's worth investing in and so it's given all those opportunities i think for young female talent to, to shine and and show what they've got yeah all, all of the top level managers are here in the paddock and they they talent pick from f2 f3 and now they're going to be able to talent pick from this F1 Academy. I think it makes a, a huge difference to be able to be spotted and have somebody mentor you up through the ranks. I mean, because the budgets to get to F2, F3 are just enormous and you need somebody to give you that leg up. And the women competing in F1 Academy next year are going to have an even better platform because every Formula One team is going to have an association with cars in F1 Academy. They've just announced the calendar for 2024, seven races, including, I know they're going to be in Miami, they're going to be back here in Austin as well. So it is going to grow. It's great exposure and it's, it's a great first step. They're very, very well organized. They've come in, they've put this program together in, in a very thoughtful way. So 
They've got very experienced people managing the program. And I, th I think, you know, Stefano and, and all the people at F1 have put a lot of time and effort into making sure that this is a sustainable program. It's going to be years before we really get people floating up through the system. But it doesn't happen if you don't start. Okay, guys. Well, it's been a weekend. It's certainly been a weekend. Formula One in Texas is, well, it's big. I did go and see Queen last night. But one of the things they do here at Cota is put on fantastic music every year. One of the things that's really changed about the experience of coming to a Formula One race is just how much extra entertainment there is at all of these venues. I think the promoters are doing a really great job of entertaining the fans when they come here. There's things to do, things to see. The drivers are going out into the, into the fan areas and they're, they're doing interviews and, and all kinds of things on stage. I mean, they do such a good job, um, all these drivers. They're so personable and they really love the fans that come here. And I mean, I've come here this weekend. I'm not working, but I'm loving it. I Honestly, I've loved just being a punter. I've loved just being a person wandering around and soaking it all up and enjoying watching the cars and, and listening to people. And yeah, it's, it's just, it's so much to it. But haven't the promoters done an amazing job with the atmosphere this weekend? It has just been electric all around, hundreds of thousands of people. And looking up into turn one at that hill at the start is unbelievable. Well, Tim, tell us, because not only are you a steward, but you also uh, work with the organization of this race. How big is Formula One in the United States at the minute? Is, is, is the growth still vertical as it has been? Well, my job is to organize all of the officials. And, and for the very first time, we've had absolutely no difficulty recruiting the thousand plus people that we need to stand around the racetrack and do this. And I think it continues to grow. I mean, I th we're in a very strong position here. Three Formula One races. It's, it's a lot of work for, for me and all the various people that work with us. But I think that these races are exciting. The promoters are, are really invested in growing the sport. So I think it's good, it's good for Formula One and it's good for the sport in the US. I'm very excited though for motor racing in the US because it, I think all of the championships here are growing alongside of, of Formula One. So it's good for all of us. Just while we're talking about F1 in, in the US, uh, you went to Vegas recently. Of course, that is the penultimate race this year. Uh, what did you find? What can we expect? Well, first of all, it is just an unbelievably huge venue. And, and to be in the middle of Las Vegas is extremely exciting. There are 28,000 hotel rooms inside the track and another 20 some odd thousand hotel rooms around the outside. But to walk down uh, the boulevard there and to see the lights and to see the excitement and everything being built. They're building grandstands in the Bellagio Fountain, which is just amazing to me. Uh, it's hey, gonna how be... does that work? You have to wear your swimming trunks. Yes, right? you do. No, I, no, they steer those the, the fountain, which is quite interesting. You can watch it swishing around. It, it's um, it's going to be a huge, huge event. The facility itself is absolutely mega, and so I think that uh, we're going to have a great time. Let's check in with our F1 fantasy team now, F1 Nation Racing. Sadly, with just 118 points, we've had our worst weekend of the season so far, thanks to Lewis Hamilton's disqualification, Oscar Piastri's DNF, and Daniel Ricciardo's P15. Perhaps we've jinxed Hamilton. That's two races in a row without points since we brought him into our team. But we're going to stick with the seven-time world champion and hope it's third time lucky in Mexico. 
the front, TJGP67 continues to lead the way in the F1 Nation World Championship, 21 points ahead of MLN Racing in P2, while blank BGP is back up into the podium positions, albeit by just two points. And remember that F1 Fantasy is completely free to play and you can join our league at any time. Just go to fantasy.formula1.com and search for the F1 Nation World Championship. And remember, you have until the start of qualifying for the Mexico City Grand Prix on Saturday to make changes to your team. All right, guys, thank you so much for your time. Both of you, Tim, thank you very much for coming You're on very the show. Welcome, it's great. Tom. And uh, thank you to you at home for listening. The show would be nothing without you, but we're going to call it a day. We will, of course, be back next Monday with our review of the Mexican Grand Prix. But for now, F1 Nation is produced by Formula One and Audio Boom Studios.